Hello, my friends. Every single day, our audience is growing. Thank you so much. Please reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter to say hello. Let me know what questions you'd like me to ask and what topics that you want me to cover more of. Later this summer, we've got the CTOs of Verizon, CA Technologies, Semantic, and SendGrid coming on the podcast. I found that the show is growing through word of mouth, so find someone who you know that loves technology and growth and tell them about the Modern CTO podcast. Growing the audience helps more technologists avoid the mistakes that we've all made, and it allows us to do our part in raising up the next generation of engineers and technology leaders. In preparation for the 2019 conference circuit, starting this month, I'll be giving talks at companies in the United States to technology teams, both big and small. I'll be speaking about what I've learned, talking with the greatest technology leaders on earth, and then relate that back to how your teams can apply the information to your current focus. It's high energy, pragmatic, and motivating. To book me, go to moderncto.io and use the chat in the bottom right-hand corner. Today, we are talking to Trey Cannell, the CTO of ePublishing, and we discuss chasing a business model rather than chasing the money, overcoming failure, and creating remote culture where everyone feels a part of the family. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Oh man, I'm so happy. We're getting ready. Right after this, I jump on a plane to go to RSA. Really? You seem like a busy man. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. I just, I don't stop from the time I wake up till, till the time I go to bed. I just go back to back to back. I understand. I know that I have that same feeling sometimes. I like it though. So I can, I can have it either way. You know, I kind of go with my body, right? Like if I'm feeling overworked, then I just slow it down. When I'm ambitious, I just, you know, turn it up and then I just go through my seasons. Oh yeah. That, I do the same thing. It's uh, I'll get to, you know, get, kind of get in the zone, so to speak, and, and really start hitting it hard for, you know, several days at a time. And then I'm done, you know, then I need a yep. couple days, two or three days and spend some time with the family, spend some time on other interests and then, you know, re-energize. That's exactly what it is. Like last weekend, normally I, you know, write and do work on the weekends, but last weekend I was like, nah, I need some, uh, I need some giggles. I need to see my, my little daughter giggle and move about and have fun and spend some time with the family. So that was really nice. Oh, that's great. So what are you, what are you up to at e-publishing? What are you really excited about this week that you're working on? Uh, this week, we've got uh, a couple of new clients that we've onboarded that we're right sort of in the middle of, you know, deploying them, implementing their websites and deploying our platform for them. So that's always exciting, you know, uh, new, new opportunities and new experiences and, you know, getting to learn more about their business models and how we can help and, and moving them through the process and ultimately, you know, coming together for a, a redesign and a rebirth of their website or sites. Yeah, that's one of my favorite parts about building technology is getting to learn about the other company's business model. Oh, yeah. I've learned so much over the years over things that, I mean, I've forgotten more than I've learned. But, uh, you know, most of our customers are, you know, small to mid-sized publishers that are, are pretty pretty niche in what they do. And so it could be anything from, you know, automotive repair to agriculture to plumbing. You know, you just never know what you're going to get uh, when that new customer comes in the door. So it does keep it interesting. 
Yeah, so for people who don't know what the e-publishing thing is, can you give a high-level overview of that? Sure. Um, yeah, so basically we have a what we call an enterprise publishing system, but essentially at its core is a content management system that we've uh, built and sort of cultivated and, and grown over the past several years uh, that's sort of focused on primarily the B2B space, uh, as I mentioned, small to mid-sized publishers, but we also have some large multi-title uh, publishers as well. And uh, so that's sort of the e-publishing side. And then, um, you know, we, de- we have that fun, you know, situation where our company name is the same as the product name right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it's always a little confusing uh, trying to talk to folks about it. But uh, then we also have our other product, which is the Ellington CMS uh, that is in a completely different platform and completely different infrastructure and so forth, but is geared more towards, uh, more towards the newspapers uh, than traditional magazine publishers. So is it for the digital component of the magazine or do you print out like both? Just a digital component right now. We do uh, some integration with circulation systems that will handle those kinds of things. Um, actually you know, printing or getting assets to the printer. Um, but we handle the, the web side of it. And is it like where the the printed version is just embedded in the web or is the content like native on the web? It's a native on the web. We, we preach and, and sort of, you know, we try to ascribe towards a, a web first mentality uh, where they're using our tools to produce content, edit content, and ultimately uh, prepare that for whatever channel uh, they need to deliver it to, whether it be, you know, things like their newsletters that they're producing on a weekly or monthly basis, sometimes a daily basis, uh, whether it be the traditional things like RSS or even podcasts, um, or, or then out, yeah, or then out to uh, uh, out for actual print, you know, for delivery to someone's home or or business. I, I, I thank you on behalf of all content readers because nothing's more frustrating than when I go to pull up content and it's buried inside like page fifty three of this flippable PDF thing. That's oh, the worst. Yeah, the uh, we do. You know, we see those. We run into them every now and then. There's still the. You know, the, the publishers out there are using things like flipbooks and uh, some are just putting up just bare bones PDF files, you know, for download and, and things like that. But uh, now we, we try to move our customers away from that and, and think digital first. So have you been around since the beginning here at ePublishing? Uh, I came on, on in 2000 as a developer. Uh, they had been around a few years before that um, in some form or fashion. And we sort of evolved over the years though. When I first came on, we actually weren't e-publishing. We were Chaffee Interactive, uh, named after our, uh, CEO, Tom Chaffee. And we were more just sort of a digital agency slash boutique web shop, uh, back then, you know, so it was working on anything and everything, um, more web development for hire. And so it was everything from, you know, the real estate industry to uh, some stuff in sports, uh, you know, things of that nature. And then we had some magazine publishers sprinkled in there. We had, um, you know, we would do like little virtual hosted websites, uh, just anything and everything. You know, it might be we might have a daily journal for the city of Chicago, but then we might also have, you know, the local lawyers website on, <laughs> on board as well. So we were all over the map to say the least. So you went agency turned product because what did the e-publishing product just start to take off? You get a lot of that business? Yeah, we went through, I'll tell you, we, we sort of failed miserably um, around 2008 or so. Uh, and that sort of spurred our growth or, or metamorphosis, if you will, into a, a product or at least our version of a product-based company. And, you know, we are SaaS, but uh, we had sort of 
we, we were doing a lot in the real estate industry at the time. And so we all remember what happened around that time. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, having sort of a, a couple of whale type tentpole clients, uh, really, you know, that was a, a hard lesson to learn. Uh, it was really nice when things were going great, but, uh, once that revenue went away, then we had to sort of reinvent ourselves or refocus. I mean, we were already working within, you know, with, uh, media companies and, and publishers, but, uh, we really had to, to focus and, and stop going after sort of chasing the money so much as chasing a business model. Yeah. When you look at your books, it'll say, Hey, if you want to make this thing last 18, 20 years, <laughs> you have to do this. That's right. It's not, it's not easy to scale an agency. That was one of the questions I was faced with a few years ago or constantly actually, um, cause I had a 14 person development agency. And the thing was scaling the agency is so difficult because you're always making new products. And then the people that you need are like really high quality people. And it's just, it's the revenue of what people will pay for products at the beginning versus the quality of people you need. It just doesn't make sense. So you've seen the market shift, everybody boom and burst as small products. And then when the team takes off, it takes off, you know? That's right. And, you know, when we were, when we were, as I said, sort of chasing the money, um, it really wasn't about how we could grow. It was about growing the customer, which is great. And we still focus that way in many ways. Um, but we couldn't scale any of it. You know, it was a lot of one-off development, uh, you know, opportunities as it were, uh, that, you know, once it was done, it was done. And then we moved on to the next. And so, you know, we had our time building relationships, long lasting relationships and, and ultimately revenue streams for us. And, uh, as you say, I mean, when you try to staff against, uh, just being a web development shop, uh, people are coming and going, you know, knowledge is, is, you know, it comes in the door and then it walks out the door mm -hmm. and it just became something that was not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination repeatable. You know, we couldn't, we could not define a formula for success, uh, in that business, uh, something that we could repeatably depend on and, and know that we were going to put out a great quality product, uh, or just experience with the customer at every turn, you know, because everything was so vastly different we were in constant learning mode. And so we couldn't become experts in what we were doing. We were just doing everything. Oh man. And that's the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is worse than being the multitasking Jack of all trades. Right. It's like, all I hear is Tony Robbins in the back of my mind. Focus, focus, focus. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so what does your day to day look like now as a CTO of, of ePublishing? Uh, day to day. Well, I still I try to do as much coding as possible um, on the ePublishing side of the shop. I don't do anything on the Ellington side. Uh, leave that up to the engineers that we have there, but I still try to contribute in, and do a fair amount of coding on the publishing side and everything there is Ruby on rails. So Yay. Um, <laughs> yeah, we switched to that uh, several years ago away from Java and it's one of the best decisions that, uh, that we had ever made. So we've really enjoyed that. But uh, so I like to, you know, keep my fingers in that pie a little bit, but mainly it's, you know, I'd say everything from, you know, working with customers on an almost daily basis, sitting in meetings and when they come to us with, uh, you know, any kind of opportunities or challenges that they have and sort of trying to, you know, bridge that gap between business need and, you know, technology solution, uh, trying to figure out what parts of our platform work the best for that given need, uh, basically acting as a consultant um, to them, you know, with our own products and also trying to, you know, show them other, you know, partners that we might have or other things that we've seen in the industry that, you know, they might benefit from that either may or may not be integrated with our system or, or may or may not be in the future integrated with our system, but just really trying to 
you know, help them with the best practices and, and ultimately look at ROI for what they're trying to do and helping them to decide if it's even worth doing. Nice. So how, how big is the team on, on the development team side at the e-publishing? Development side, we're about, it's about half the company. So about 14, 15 people. Oh, that's very cool. And then so 14, 15 Rails developers or some maybe some infrastructure people. <laughs> Yeah, we've got DevOps guys and, yeah. and gals, and you know we've got uh, yeah some ROR people, and then on the Ellington side, it's actually built in Django and Python, so uh, we have engineers over there that focus solely on that. We do have some crossover. We have a lot of our, as you can imagine, a lot of our staff. The area that's growing the most is front end development. Everything is JavaScript nowadays, right? Yeah. So, uh, so that's where we've cho- you know we've, we've sort of chosen to focus on that over the last couple. A couple, two or three years. And so that's where we've done the bulk of our hiring and, and growth is on the front end, quote unquote. So I'm curious, like when you're writing code, are you jumping in and like just grabbing a story or like how do you jump in and out of, of writing code with your team and like it not be an issue? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, it can be an issue quickly. Uh, that's one of the things I learned is sort of, you know, on that sort of progression from... Uh, or that path from, you know, pure developer to CTO is I can really cause a lot of problems if I get in the way. Uh, So I really have to sort of pick my battles or let my team pick my battles for me. Uh, So a lot of times it's, you know, our team, our team's coming to me and saying, look, you know, we're a little short, you know, on the sprint, or we've got this specialized thing over here that needs to be done and we're having trouble you know, resourcing it or on the other end of the spectrum, it's, we know we have to get this done. We don't quite yet have a vision for it. You know, how are we going to architect this? And and so I'll sort of walk in on the front side of that, you know, and help just enough. Uh, you know, we'll all learn together, figure out what we're doing and how we need to do it. And then I'll, you know, I, I affectionately, you know, call myself the bungee boss. <laughs> so I'll, I'll bungee in, I'll help where, where I'm needed and, and where they need me, where they let me know they need me. And then I bungee back out and I get out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So when you're, this team is, is growing, obviously it's grown. You've been there while it's grown. Have you, one of the big questions that I've been getting, I get like crazy amounts of, I get hundreds of questions, Trey, like, yeah, I can imagine yeah, because everybody hears cause it's, international right so from all different levels and one of the things that every and it's weird because it's um very much like looking at large data sets the larger the data the bigger the patterns emerge and then they kind of move so like one week i'll be getting all these questions about this one topic and like no one's connected like everyone's in different parts of the world and then but one thing that came up like real big in the past two weeks is hiring specialist versus generalist. Like people are asking, you know, do you ever bring in a consultant to do something very specialized or my team is growing? Should I get a bunch of people that just know this one thing or should I get a bunch of generalists and how do I balance? What thought, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> just like what thoughts come from your experience when on that topic? Because you know what you're doing. Yeah, I think it's, uh, well, you know, that's, that's important to remember too. I mean, I, I don't always know what I'm doing. In fact, most of the time I'm not. Uh, so I've been really lucky. I've been very blessed to uh, lucked upon some very good hires and, you know, uh, establish some leaders in our company that, uh, that really take the <laughs> deserve and, and need to take most, if not all the credit for the things that we do. Um, and they do a really good job of further evaluating talent and, and bringing folks on board. Uh, we are a completely virtual company, so every one of us works from home. Really? Yeah. So 
that comes with its own challenges, but we've done that since the beginning. So uh, we're pretty adept at, you know, being able to interview and, and not, you know, we're, we're not imposing Google tests on anyone or anything like that, but we do have a measure of, you know, technical challenges and things that we issue, but um, we're really, really good at hiring generalists, I would say. Um, we're just now, you know, sort of getting into a space, I believe, with data and then on the other end on just development in general with all the, you know, I mentioned JavaScript with, you know, all the frameworks that are out there now and trying to decide, you know, in that wild west of, of coding um, in this new era, you know, who and, and what we need to bring in. Uh, so we have sort of gone from generalist and saying, okay, I need a front end developer who has, you know, has a, a portfolio or a resume who looks like this, who knows you know, these things and can show us, you know, their GitHub account to, okay, we now know what we want to do and how we're going to do it. And so now we can go focus in and hone in on the talent that we need. Uh, so that's helped us out quite a bit is just sort of, you know, planning our tech roadmap, so to speak, and the tools that we want to use. You know, I've been thinking, I always get those messages from recruiters. <laughs> when you start, right. To, right? Oh, yeah. right? And so I, I was thinking, um, you know, they never know. And then I'd say twice a year, I'll just respond just because I need to stay in the loop of what their tactics are and, sure. you know, be aware of it. So I'll respond and talk to one of them, have a nice conversation. But I found that, like, you can always get to the person without, like, a code review, which is always interesting to me. And then I was thinking about, you know, I just magically create tools on the fly sometimes in my head because that's what we do as right. creators. And I was thinking, you know, where's the tool that's scanning GitHub and then checking the quality of people's code and the language and the tools that they use and then matching that back against like the people's jobs? Because if I need somebody that knows Slim, right, and I see sure. this guy who you know, matches closely slim with some code climate style detection. Right. And right. why don't I just get a list of a bunch of people who write really high quality slim? Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that would actually be pretty amazing. I've never thought about coming at it from that direction, honestly, but uh, it's a pretty decent idea. Yeah. It could even be private. So I could even go into um, GitHub and like integrate it into my GitHub Right, sort of like a developer portfolio, but instead of it like actually looking at the projects and everything, it's looking at the structure of the things I've committed, right? Sure. Not my team; it's only my commits. And then it's somehow giving some quality score, but then but then it just takes the results of that and puts it up into you know my company's database, and then it can search and match based on what people need. That way, you can protect all your code privacy rights because the code never leaves, you know the servers are, it's never like, it's not like stores, it's not like I'm storing copies of it. Right. And so, you know, you could, you could probably do something really neat with that. And now it's like, all right, enough, enough, everybody, you know, cause here's the thing. If you want to game the system, you have to like learn how to write good code. <laughs> right. <laughs> You'll actually have to go through and learn everything it's going to look for. <laughs> and I'm like, that would be the best thing ever. It would make developers better and it would give recruiters, like it would stop wasting their time. Yeah, so I could go and learn like all of the uh, heuristics and decision making for uh, for RuboCop, for example, and then exactly. write really, really great code. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you could just take, I, I mean, I don't know. I just thought that was a really cool idea because I'm like, look at these people. They're wasting their time having these long, hour-long conversations with these these individuals, and then they, they don't even know the quality of their code. Yeah, and that's... Um... 
you know, when we, we do, I guess, probably take a pretty traditional approach when it comes to evaluating and finding talent. I mean, you know, obviously we're looking for code samples. We're looking for, you know, things that we can find out about them online or, you know, that they're sending to us and so forth. And then it, it does come down to that sort of almighty interview uh, or series of, of those. And um, a lot of what we found, though, is that it's not always the person who maybe, you know, in this example, you know, code climate, you know, rated the best or, or whatever. It's it's who can work in our environment. It's who has, you know, also the communication skills and, you know, the, the, the sort of personal fit uh, that, as you can imagine, our somewhat unique business uh, and environment demands. So it, uh, it definitely helps to, to see and know that they can, they can write good code. At least we think they can. And of course, you never really know that until you uh, get someone into your environment and into you know your code base and into your product because they might have written amazing code with missile guidance systems, but that doesn't mean that they're going to put together a nice navigation <laughs> for you know your next website. Or I can whatever. pretty much guarantee you, if they do the first one, the second one's not going to happen. Missile guidance systems not, and navigation. Not <laughs> <laughs> that is so interesting. I've also noticed there's kind of like a. I was talking about this the other day. There's kind of like a split. There's like very um, rigid analytical programmers and there's very creative programmers right that's so interesting I, I think that we uh we tend towards the creative side honestly yeah. um you know we have a lot of checks and balances in place to make sure that you know we're all doing the best job that we can and we all have visibility to what each other is doing through you know all of our uh, our development life cycle in terms of our you know pull requests and code reviews and and then of course we do have those you know continuous integration and uh, code coverage you know, pieces in place to help us along the way as well and catch those things that a human being might not catch. But, uh, you know, just being able to communicate with each other uh, through a daily, uh, not anything as formal as, you know, a stand-up or what have you, but being able to be there for each other as code commits or, or being sent in, you know, formal and sometimes informal code reviews and, and, you know, evaluating this pull request. I mean, you all get to know each other's code pretty quickly which also means I know how I need to position a piece of code or a component uh, because my team is going to work you know, on it and I know what the expectations are for that component and how it's going to fit in with the entire ecosystem that we're building. So um, just having each other all in the code base, <laughs> basically, at all times and working together really helps. It's like a team. Like, like, a team. <laughs> like That's right. I know it sounds like it's like I'm thinking this thought for the first time. Your team, your development, it's like a, it's like a team. They have to, they're like playing. Like in my head, when you're describing that, I'm seeing. I don't even watch or participate in sports but but uh, uh and that's not true i played football and baseball the way, but like now i don't right um right but and i just saw soccer players like throwing the ball you have to know what your teammates are gonna do and you have to anticipate the next move and and that's like i was listening to like a wayne gretzky interview and he goes i'm not really that great at anything except for being able to anticipate where the puck's gonna go <laughs> right <laughs> like you could talk about all the skills all the drill he's like no he's like i just feel it like i just i've seen i just know the puck's gonna go over there and that's that's kind of like the thing i'm really great at yeah and i think because we do build that sort of camaraderie and i know I, I probably make it sound like we have some of this you know uh meditative kumbaya team thing that we have going on it's uh <laughs> not, not quite that zen but it's uh but it is pretty cool to watch uh especially from my role where i uh, am not as involved um because that's just not my role, but sort of on the outside looking in sometimes just watching the team operate like a well-oiled machine. I mean, that is like the biggest satisfaction I could possibly have as a CTO. Nothing's better than monitoring that Slack channel and watching them find and solve problems without you having to touch anything. 
Absolutely. I'm like, yes, you go. It's like, it's, it's like, there we go. We'll go back to sports. It's like watching a sports game. I'm like, oh no, Johnny's down. Oh, Mark saves the day. Andrea's got the support. <laughs> well, that's the thing with a sports metaphor. You know, you always talk about it. You're here, you know, well, players win games. Coaches don't win games. That is you know? so true. Um, that's, that's sort of applicable here. Yeah. But the coaches make great players. That's right. Yeah. You know, we've got to get them all together. Everyone has to know the goals. Everyone has to know the game plan. And but once you get that in place, then it's just about the talent. And uh, like I said, luck, luckily, you know, we we miss sometimes, but uh, we've been very fortunate in bringing on great folks. <laughs> the I'm not laughing at the great folks. <laughs> I'm just my mind. My mind's just going. Um, I have a question for you about culture. You bet. You have had this remote team always. Have you had the opportunity to work in an office with developers before where all the developers are in the office? Uh, a previous company I did went into Cubeland every day. So how, how are you responsible for the culture or what do you think about the culture or what, what happens with one of the other questions we were getting is company culture when the teams are remote? Like, do you think about it? How do you deal with it? What sort of issues do you face? What do you think about yeah, you have to. I mean, on one hand, you don't have to deal with the sort of uh, water cooler distractions, if you will. Uh, people can stay pretty heads down uh, and get their work done, you know, when you're in a, a remote environment. Uh, on the other hand, it's it's absolutely critical. It's not just CTOs. I mean, obviously, CEOs, uh, CIOs, uh, COOs, doesn't really matter. Anyone in a leadership position, it's not just about cranking out the work, whatever that might be. It's also about, you know, being a cheerleader when you need to, um, making sure that you're putting things in place to reward people publicly and visibly, you know, across the company, especially when you're remote. Because if I have a conversation with someone and, you know, give them an attaboy or girl, then no one else necessarily knows about that unless, you know, we make it visible. So we try to do small things. We just sort of created some some little programs and, you know, little things that we do from time to time, uh, just like we have a... Yeah, as corny as it sounds, we have a uh, rock star of the month program. Nice. Right? And so everyone is encouraged uh, to nominate, you know, their coworkers, their peers, uh, people they work for, work with, uh, doesn't matter. Uh, everyone is encouraged to nominate folks on a, on a monthly basis. And then, you know, once that new month starts then I go back and review all of those nominations and then we choose, you know, that rock star of the month and they get, you know, a small, you know, financial reward is, and more importantly, the recognition you know, they get a special spot on our wiki and, you know, in Podio where we have our sort of water cooler section of the company and, you know, things like that. So we try to do little things on that level to keep everyone sort of on the same page and engaged and, and a part of the, as you say, the team or the family, as we like to say. Nice. Yeah, we actually, in our proposals and all our paperwork, we call ourselves like the modern CTO family. There you go. Yeah. So do they ever, have they ever nominated you? Uh, yes, but yeah. I mean, I'm not. I'm not eligible. Uh, the <laughs> no, I, I don't. I don't believe that. I, I personally just don't believe that uh, uh, I should be eligible for that. So, well, Trey, uh, today you are the modern CTO's rock star of the month. You are fully <laughs> eligible. I'm going to pretend as if this whole thing was planned. Yes, I knew I could do it. you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I want to thank the academy. Yes. yes. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Go. There's the speech. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah, we'll we'll uh we'll send you uh, you know what you won. Um Jackie, Trey, Trey wins uh signed signed copy of the book. Perfect. 
there you go. <laughs> awesome. We're sending it out to you. There you go. Hey, I'm already winning, man. I'm on here with you today. And speaking of the Ooh. book, congratulations. I didn't want to let this uh, get passed without saying that. Oh, dude, that's um, crazy. Actually, I read it. I did uh, go and drop my five-star review for you. Yes. It Great, great book. I read it through twice now, and it's sitting on my desk and plan on reading it again. I, as much as I've highlighted it and sort of, you know, skimmed and re-skimmed and read, and uh, I know there's some nuggets in there that I've that I've yet to uh, sort of unearth. So I'll be reading it again. It was great. Oh man, so awesome. So thank you. Um, the the biggest thing I get from that book, other than uh, other than people saying nice things, is I get this like fierce anger. <laughs> really <laughs> of of it's not enough like we need more oh, yeah and i could see that yeah <laughs> so I've, I've never done a book before right like i have no idea sure what i, what I was doing <laughs> um as far as the book now actually i get it like now i can put out a like it took me a year to get get it figured out right but right. now that i got it figured out i could drop a book in like three months uh, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, because it's all about getting the connections, understanding the different pieces in the puzzle and where you have to go for what and how to get all your stuff together. So um, if you ever want to do a book, just ask me. I've, I could like bullet point it out. Uh, it'd be really easy. Oh, that'd be fantastic. I've been asked that question quite a lot if I was going to try to do it. It seems like every now, and, you know, every now and then I get that question that, you know, so when are you writing a book? What are you writing about? And as much as I love to write just sort of on my own and, you know, I haven't really contemplated going that far with it. But you... Uh, you definitely inspire me. That's uh, you know, I can see that you put a lot of work into that, and uh, and yeah, absolutely, we'll be looking forward to volume two if, uh, if that ever comes out. Yeah. So so the because of those people reaching out, apparently when people buy books, they everyone has a different idea in their head of what it should be, right? Mm -hmm. Regard forget the description. <laughs> Right. <laughs> Forget that. Just assume that somebody just saw the cover and then they just know what's in it. Um, so what the two worlds are or the people that really like it are like they were just open and like oh modern cto i'm a cto i'm modern i'm gonna just read it and then it was you know more or less like experiences and lessons and things that i've learned and then the other half of people believe that the book is to be a step-by-step -step guide mm. right so i was i was like oh so but that's good though because now that i put it out and i got that feedback now I know that in the future I can create two worlds of content and I can like separate them intentionally. Sure. Where I can set up one as like a, here's, for example, there was a chapter about uh, momentum in teams, right? Mm -hmm. And so I could write the story about the momentum in teams and then provide a literal step-by-step -step guide that's separate from the story on how to actually carry it out. Yeah, I thought you did a great job of sort of merging the two. And, and I like, you know, like I said, I liked it because it, it was a, a quick ish read, uh, which, you know, as people in our position, you know, and any kind of leaders that are bouncing around all over the place. Um, I, I enjoyed the fact that it wasn't, you know, 800 pages long. Exactly. Um, you know, I felt like I was able to sit down in a morning and, and really, you know, glean some some critical things from it that, you know, could, uh, I could keep with me the rest of the day and, and, and to come. So, um, yeah, I, I tend to be more on the side of, you know, I don't really, I think you put just enough of the sort of tactics in there, uh, mm -hmm. and sort of people who were looking for that, uh, to benefit those readers. But, uh, I tend to be more on the creative and, and tell a story side where I can kind of learn from, you know, challenges and, and other successes that other people in, in my industry and in my role have had. And so I thought you had a nice mix of the two. Yeah. And so the two worlds, I dove deeper and started getting to know the different people 
that it's funny anger Trey. i've never put stuff out before really like before this book or in the podcast right. so i had no idea what it's like working with like putting stuff out into the world from the perspective of it's your own content versus like an app and getting feedback from that sure. but when the anger can it, when someone comes at you with the anger of something and then you just be nice to them it instantly flips to like they love you Right. <laughs> <laughs> it blew my mind. I'll get people that write me these long things. Oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. I'm like, oh, man, I really appreciate that. Like, this is very useful feedback because now I can do A, B, and C. And thank you so much for spending your time looking at it. And then they're like, oh, man, no problem. I was just having a bad day. <laughs> right. You hear that a lot. And you actually, I mean, you're absolutely right. You see that on social media a lot where the, the people who are handling social media very well are doing exactly that. You know, that's not... A, uh, especially professionals who are, are having their work you know, critiqued and sometimes just flat out criticized. Anytime you see an example of someone who's going back and, and really truly appreciating the feedback, negative or not, yeah, uh, it usually turns the tide pretty quickly. Right. Well, I need the feedback. I need every piece of feedback because oh, so you're gonna write a better book the next time, right? That is the only way you can do it. It's, it's iterative, like anything in life. Yep, that's right. I have, um, there is one course that people don't talk about or one thing people aren't talking about, but I have both experienced myself and because you have a remote team, I'm going to mention it to you. Uh, yeah. and I get a lot of requests for it, but work from home depression is this, is this topic mm. that I'm getting people writing me about because if you're not intentionally structuring your day, like I had one CTO on CTO of a large company and they're remote. So I, I think they have 20, 20, 30 people and their team, um, they're remote. And one of the questions was, you know, what's one of your biggest struggles as CTO? And it was working from home because mm -hmm. without intentional, especially if you're single, right? Um, sure. It, without doing, being able to structure your day intentionally to where you're going out and interacting with other people, you know, you can end up like just completely isolated and disconnected from everybody very fast, very easily. That's very true. And we've, we've seen that firsthand uh, in the past, for sure. Yeah, it's, it's not all sunshine and rainbows uh, when it comes to working from home. Right. You do have to be on the lookout for that. Uh, you have to be engaged, you know, with your team and, and, you know, determine, you know, if someone is, uh, you know, if you do see some drop off, uh, not just in productivity or amount of, you know, number of lines of code submitted, uh, but just an in interaction, you know, just in smiles, right? Uh, just in, in having fun. You know, whether it's, you know, you know, this guy used to post a whole lot of memes to the Slack channel, you know, like, where did he go? Yeah. You know, kind of disappeared as of late. Um, so you do have to be aware of that and, and make sure you communicate with each other and, and prop each other up when you can. And um, we'll try to get, we don't do it as much as we used to, um, but we do try to get together uh, for actual face-to-face, -face, you know, team meetings from time to time. And uh, they're usually very simple, but we try to do some of that. Uh, we haven't, to my knowledge anyway, uh, I've not dealt too much on the depression side, uh, or at least not that I've known. Uh, for well, anyone depression just means like everyone thinks of the extreme of depression, but sure. depression just means to slow down. It's like you depress your pedal, you like compress, like you, you know, like just just means to slow down, right? Yeah. Like it, the, there's extreme depression, right? And but the act of getting like slightly lethargic or you know just slightly disconnected. Like there's a, there's a huge spectrum of depression, right? Yeah. And we urge everyone to, you know, we don't, we don't really keep 
uh, you were sort of, you know, we're in the central time zone. Uh, it's where we kind of base our operations. If you, if you want to look at it that way. So we don't really keep a nine to five or eight to five or whatever, you know, we, people work and they get their job done. And so we encourage people to, you know, when you're done, you're done. If it's three o'clock and you know, you're ready to go, then go. Um, if you want to come in at, you know, work till six, but come in at 10, then that's fine too. And that can vary from day to day, week to week. It depends on, you know, if your kids have activities at school that you need to get to, or you just need a break, you know, you've yeah. just been writing code, writing code for three or four days and you just need to get out and go see a movie or something. So, you know, we've been very fortunate again that way that we have hired some folks that, you know, they don't take advantage of that. You know, they appreciate it. They, they, and they nurture it. And, uh, and you know, it's just become, like you said, kind of part of our company culture. Nice. And that's, that's one of the big things too, with, with your support system, with the family, right? The people that you work with, when you have that culture versus think of more of like a consultant here to get the high hourly rate feel, you have, right. you have different checks and balances involved, right? There's just a different, it's just the culture. But one of the things that I would like to do, um, be, because I've gotten this and because you did like the book is I want, I'm doing like a whole guide system thing about the work from home depression. But what I want to do is I want to give it to you to sort of like take a look at it and pass it around your team, have a look at it and just get feedback. Absolutely. We'd be honored. We'd love to do that. Yeah. Cause I, th I think by, by getting some feedback from some people that I like, <laughs> um, cause you will tell, you'll just tell me straight up. That's, that's the thing. Yeah. People that like me, they'll just be like, tell me exactly what, what they feel because that's what I want. Right. Cause my goal is not to have something that Joel made. That was great. My goal is to work with others to create something that's useful in this universe. Uh, that's amen, brother. We're all trying to do that. Whether it's, whether we're doing it as technologists or just as people, that's the way we should be looking at it. Oh, well, that's a perfect way to wrap it up. Trey, if people want to find out more about you, what's the best way? Twitter, LinkedIn, email? Uh, yeah. Twitter, LinkedIn is, uh, probably the best. Um, I think you have those links. Um, uh, and, uh, it's just, uh at, yeah. yeah, it's just at Trey Cannell. T-R-E-Y-C-O-N-N-E-L-L -L on Twitter. And I am so glad I you said your last name because you would have been called today. We're talking to Trey Connell. Connell, exactly. <laughs> Those ends though, there's two of them and they just demand so much attention being in the center and whatnot. So It happens every time, my man. <laughs> so what's the accurate way to pronounce the name? It's uh, Connell, Trey Connell. Connell. And that's uh, American Indian? No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, ironically enough, it uh, I guess way back, way way back in the day, it was O'Connell. Yeah. Go figure. There you go, <laughs> dude. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out with me and talking. It is exciting, man. Absolutely, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. When I'm I'm gonna make an excuse when I'm nearby Arkansas to come out and see you and, and get a high five. Hey, hit it up, man. That'll be great. Man hugs around. Man hugs around. All right. The uh, number one of the month. What are you? The rock star of the month. The rock star of the month. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much for listening to the Modern CTO Podcast. Share this. Get the word out. Thank you guys so much. I couldn't do it without you. I appreciate it. You guys are the absolute best.